people first organizations will win in the future of work. Your only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want purpose-driven work. work. HR-led organization is I'm sorry, but leaders don't leave empty desks and empty shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hi, this is Sri Chalapa with People Strategy Leaders Podcast, and welcome back. Um, Today, I am honored to have Lou Adler on our show. Lou is the CEO and founder of Performance-Based Hiring Learning Systems, a consulting and training firm helping recruiters and hiring managers around the world source, interview, and hire the strongest and most diverse talent. Lou is the author of the Amazon Top 10 bestseller, Hire With Your Head, published by John Wiley & Sons. Lou is one of the top bloggers in the LinkedIn's influencer program, writing about the latest trends in hiring, employment, and recruiting. His articles, quotes, and research can now be found in Inc. Magazine, Business Insider, Bloomberg, Sherm, and the Wall Street Journal. Well, welcome to the Lou. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, thank you very much, Ree, for inviting me. I'm delighted to be with you folks today. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks again. Um, so, you know, you are considered one of the pioneers in thinking about recruiting and hiring the best people. And earlier we were just chatting about the great reshuffle and the resignation. Um, What are your thoughts on how that has changed the way people need to think about hiring and retention? Well, I think fundamentally uh, is that we're going through a transition now in hiring. And And the transition is from the great resignation and those reasons for people leaving jobs uh, without a lot of thought. And we're now going through the great reshuffle and people are starting to provide a little bit more thought to changing jobs, some of them because of necessity. But the idea is if we don't change the way we're doing things, it's going to be the same thing a year or two from now. People are going to take jobs. They're going to quit for the same reasons. They're going to be dissatisfied. And I'm going to contend a lot of that problem is due to too much short-term thinking in the hiring process and trying to be efficient rather than trying to be effective. And I think if we don't change how we're doing things, it's gonna, nothing's gonna change. And we'll spend a lot of money and we'll be disappointed and we're thinking making progress, but the reality is we're just uh, uh, spending time and spinning our wheels and mistaking activity for progress. So Lou, as you, as you say that, you know, we should change our thinking. What specifically would you say the organizations and the management need to change about the way they hire? Well, I think the issue is, is that there's just too much short-term transactional thinking in the hiring process. We got all these people apply. We're using a set of criteria to assess these people, which is semi-effective at best. And then we're trying to do that more efficiently using AI. But when you look at the core issues is the problem is that's fundamentally the wrong problem. Good people don't change jobs nilly-willy. Uh, and good people, if they have the choice, really uh, are discriminating in how they change jobs and why they accept one job over another. And unfortunately, there's too much focus on that start date package and not enough focus on the work they're doing and if it's satisfying work and if it makes good long-term career sense. And so it's bridging that gap of 
how do you hire people for the long term? Uh, and in my mind, you can't use short-term data to do that. So that's the fundamental issue. There's ways to solve that problem, but the fundamental issue is just too much short-term thinking in the hiring process on both sides of the desk, candidates and companies alike. And it's almost like, hey, we got to start over. We can't be more efficient doing that. We got to rethink the process from the ground zero. And I don't think companies want to do that. Yeah. Um, so if I were to paraphrase what you said, you know, let's say I have a customer support position open and right now I need a customer support. So I'm hiring for the position and the skills I need today. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that organizations need to think about how that position might evolve over time. So I need to put, hire the person not only for just today, but somebody who can grow into a different role or an evolved role as the technology changes. No, I don't, no I'm actually not saying that at all. I'm okay. saying that the skills you're using for today aren't necessarily the right skills. I don't know if it's five years or two years or a degree here. What I always do is say, hey, Sri, what do you want this person to accomplish? Tell me exactly what this person needs to accomplish. What's the environment? What's the tools? What's the people? And let's find people who are motivated and competent to do that work. Some of it will be skills, some of it will be personality, but it's more than skills. It's attitude, it's competency, it's reliability, it's teamwork. It's all of those things. And I think when you focus too much on skills, you narrow the focus of, oh, we got to have this. No, you need someone... I remember a senior president asked me a company at one of these presentations, how much, how, many, how much experience and skills does this person need to do this job? And it was like a VP level. I said, I don't know, enough to do the work. I said, tell me what the work is. And that's, and I don't know, you know, the, the, the best people need less and the average people need more. So if you ask more and more skills, you're getting more and more average. The best people, I remember I was working with the company that designed the first chip for the Apple phone and they wanted 10 years experience. And it must have a PhD. And I was talking to the VP engineer. I said, are you sure? What if I could find someone who had five years experience who was a brilliant circuit designer? Would you see him? He said, sure. I said, well, you won't see him because it must have a PhD in 10 years. I said, so focus on the outcome you want and find people who are motivated and competent. And I guarantee you'll have exactly the level of skills and experience you need. So it's the focus on skills. And uh, that is actually, it's called asserting the consequence. Yes, you need certain skills, but just because someone has them doesn't mean they're competent. Uh, so there's more to the job than just skills. And I think that's too narrow a focus. Yeah. And so you talk about this thing called performance-based hiring. Do you want to expound a little bit more about, is that what you're talking about here? Yeah, well, in some way, yes. The first the search assignment I ever took was 44 years ago. And I was in business 10 years prior to that. So I've been around a long time. It was for a plant manager making automotive components. So I just asked the president of the company, what do you want this person? He gave me a job description, skills, experience, and competencies. And I said, that's not a job description, Mike. That's his person description. What do you want the person to do? Let's put the person description in the parking lot. What needs to be done in this job that you would define success? And it turned out the person had to turn around the plant. And, the, and we walked through the plant and had a lot of problems. Um, and I said, okay, we have to find somebody to do that. I don't know if it's 10 years or five years. I'm going to find someone who can do that work. That opens a pool to everybody who's competent and motivated, not this narrow focus on X years of this and A, B, C of that and this kind of academic background. No, they got to do the work that right. we won't compromise on. So that was 44 years ago. Two weeks ago, I'm talking with a company up in Salinas, California, which is a farming community in central California, the farming belt of the United States almost. And they're looking for a chief operating officer to run a company uh, that makes agricultural seeds. I mean, seeds that you plant in the ground and grow alfalfa and cotton and all this stuff. 
and he had all the same 20 years of this background in this. I said, what do you want the person to do? Well, it turned around that the company had too much inventory and didn't have proper understanding of pricing and distribution. Well, that's what the person had to do, solve that problem. I won't compromise on the work. The mix of skills and experiences is where you start looking in all the wrong places. So I said, hey, I, in our advertising, we don't post job descriptions. We post stories. Hey, I need someone to, uh, to really take over this $150 million business selling seed worldwide. It's all GMO seed. It's got to do this, this, and this. And we need someone to kind of redirect the whole procurement function, all inventory management function. Oh, okay, I'm interested in doing that. So again, it's the focus on outcomes and not compromising on that person's motivation and competency to do that work. And it's more than just skills. Mm -hmm. It's teamwork, it's organization, it's management, it's attitude, it's all of those things, but you gotta wrap them all together. But when you focus on the components of that, you lose sight of the bigger picture, which is hiring a great person who's competent and motivated to do that work. Yeah, one thing I, I'm hearing a lot of backlash about is culture fit. You know, a lot of organizations, uh, at least on LinkedIn, I'm hearing that this whole concept about culture fit is actually a bad way to look at it. What are your thoughts around that when you're hiring? Oh, I, I let's say this. I've been placing people for many, many years. I don't place, I'm not a recruiter today. I train companies on how to do it. But culture fit is critical. But you can't, how do you define that? So I, I was right. with a huge company. Everybody's familiar with 23 managers. And they said, cultural fit's critical. I said, define your culture. I had them 23 hiring managers, directors and vice presidents. Not one person defined it the same way. Not one per person. Oh, we're this, we're that. And somebody said, oh, we're real collaborative. And one of the other guys said, bullshit, we're not collaborative. You're an idiot. And they were yelling and screaming at each other. I mean, so the point being is I, as a recruiter, got to make that assessment of cultural fit. But when you break it down, it's really a function of the quality of that specific hiring manager. That's number one. Matter you have a good culture and a crummy hiring manager, you got a crummy culture because that's what you deal with every day. On the other hand, the quality of the hiring manager is part of it, but also the pace of the organization and the intensity of the organization is part of it. The depth of resources is part of it. How they make decisions is part of it. Is it a bureaucracy? Is it entrepreneurial? So you can look at things that are proxies for that environment. Usually it's the pace of decision-making, the professionalism of the uh, company, how decisions are made, uh, the depth of resources, uh, and you get a sense of where that company is on the corporate life cycle, uh, and you get a sense, okay, this is the kind of environment, and can that person deal with that kind of environment and that kind of culture and that kind of decision-making and that depth of resources and that process in which they make decisions, uh, and can that person deal with the hiring manager? So I think it's absolutely critical, but how most people define it to me is as you know, I'm pretty much of a cynic. You can tell already in 10 minutes. Um, well, <laughs> got to understand think... it uh, from the, the reality of the real world. And I've sit in, I've been in the real world many, many years. And I see it. And people come up with these HR people and these great pronouncements. And, oh, this is the way it is. It's not BS. That's not the way it is. Let's talk to people and walk through the factory or walk through the plant or walk through the environment. And we'll understand it. Walking through how you make decisions. What gets you frustrated? What doesn't get you frustrated? And then you start understanding it when you actually talk to people doing the real job in the real environment. Yeah, and I, I can tell you just hearing you out here that 90% of the organizations are not doing this. I'm just making this number up, obviously. In well, I think you're but, very close. You're probably uh, higher but, than but I, I have I have not seen, especially the ones who are using a lot of external recruiters, you know, because I work I work and I talk to a lot of startups and I'm, I'm a startup myself. And the startups suddenly get funding now they got to double or triple their sales team you know, and hire a bunch of engineers. 
And I don't think that, that this much thought is put into who we need to hire. They're thinking about, hey, I need to hire three, you know, 30 more salespeople in the next 90 days. And that's a hard, hard one to do because not, you're competing against other startups and other well-funded start, you know, companies as well. And you have the short time frame. And we, there's always been a talent shortage in this country for the last, at least for the last decade or so. And they're going to make a lot of mistakes. And now we are seeing this downturn again, or quote unquote recession, where people, the same people who hired these, you know, people a year ago are now letting many of them go. And then the cycle will start all over again in six, nine yeah. months from now. And I, I feel really bad about uh, and sad about the people who join, you know, in that in that process, and the managers and the executives, because it takes anywhere from three to six months for a person to get really productive in a company, even in a startup environment, which is fa fast paced. So uh, how should they approach it? You know, because they have this pressure from the VC or P that's funding them to say, hey, I, I expect you to double and triple your revenue. So you got to hire that many people and do this and that the other. Again, this is the reality it is, is there's the right way. And then there's the business circumstances that drive uh, performance. And there's no question, and that's part of the culture. So if you don't define the fact that, hey, we got to do fast, we got to think quickly, we got to change roles quickly, well, you've got to kind of define that as part of your process. But I do know in a performance environment with VCs that they're measuring you based on criteria that might not, that might conflict with that. So given those set of circumstances, you got to go and in some way, you're rolling the dice. The VCs are rolling the dice. They pick 10 companies. They only expect three of them to be successful. And if you're one of the seven that isn't, well, you're SOL, out of luck. It's just not going to happen for you. So I don't know that uh, there's an easy answer. I can give you three right now. What I can say to you, though, and from a very personal standpoint, now I've been around in this workforce for many, many years. My background... My original background is an engineer, and my first job was a guidance system engineer on a nuclear missile project. And my boss told me as a systems engineer, the one rule you have to understand is you can't push on a string. And he wanted me to meet everybody, and he said, tell me what that means. This is like day one on the job. Tell me what you can't push on a string means. And I told him as an engineer, 22, I said, I know what the physics of it are. He said, no, I, don't, I want you to talk to people and tell me. Well, it turned out that I was dealing with a lot of different engineers working on a lot of different projects and different systems. Each one had a point of view that said, this is where we're going to do it. But as a systems engineer, you have to look at the end result. I got to get this rocket ship and this nuclear missile to land where I want it to land without blowing up ahead of time. Uh, and you start realizing you got to make compromises every step of the way to optimize the whole system, not just that one component. Right. So while I personally believe as a recruiter how to hire a great person, there's a bigger picture at play here. Hey, I got VCs that want their money. I got to hire these people. So I got to start making compromises. But if you don't look at all those things in every step, how do I optimize the whole system and make it as best as possible given my current situation and result? And that's not an easy answer. But it, what unfortunately, most people don't even think about it. They just go, oh, I got to hire people. Well, maybe you don't have to hire 20 people, maybe hire 10 great people at once. And then the next 10 uh, train all those other 10. Well, that's a different job. I'm just saying you got to think the problem at the whole solution, not the subset of solution. I think there's too much narrow thinking going on there. Sorry for that long answer and sorry for the history, but I started making me think about some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just 
you know, posing to you some real life situations that a lot of startup founders find themselves in where they get a lot of funding. You know, you can see companies hiring in droves and then next year, you know, they're laying off in droves and then a year or two later, they're hiring, again, hiring in droves, yep. you know, and there's so much inefficiencies uh, and ineffectiveness in the process because every time you hire somebody, like I said, three to six months or, or more of lost productivity and, and lost institutional knowledge when you let somebody go. Um, so what do you, for, you know, one, actually, before I come to that, you know, I, I also think, you know, there's a short-term thinking probably from the employee perspective as well, right? Where they are taking a job, uh, you know, say, I, I read the statistics somewhere, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a, a, accurate or not, that like 60 or 70% of the people who left in the last great resignation regretted their leaving or something like that. You know, I don't know what your, uh, uh, you know, what your uh, research well, has I think on that. It, well, you can look at Gallup does this quarterly job satisfaction survey I know it's in the United States. I, it might be worldwide too, but I haven't looked at those statistics. That basically says only a third of the workforce is satisfied with their work. A third is totally unsatisfied and a third, the other third is kind of marginal. And that kind of goes up and down, but not more than a couple percentage points uh, at all. But what I tell candidates up front, and this is different, is I tell candidates don't make long-term career decisions using short-term data. Time is your most valuable asset. Don't waste it. Whatever you do in the next year or two is going to affect the next five or 10. Uh, but the idea being is, and I give candidates this little worksheet. And I said, I want you to look at this job over all of these factors. The actual content of the work itself. Is that work satisfying? The leadership team, do you feel that this is a group that you can work with your peers and managers or leaders? Is this company and its direction and its mission something you want to be part of? Do you feel this is the platform for career growth? Are you going to be making a personal income and become better? And then you got the compensation package. And I tell candidates, if we make you an offer, I'm going to say, forget the compensation package. Tell me about all this other stuff, why you want the job. And if they can't define all of those factors with a specific detail of the work itself, the challenges, the team, the resources, uh, then I'm going to say, we're not going to make you an offer. But you have an obligation through this interview process to get that information. And we as a company have that obligation to give it to you to make sure this is the right long-term decision. We call that win-win hiring. Hiring for the anniversary date, the first year anniversary date, not the start date. Because we want you on year one to still be satisfied with this job. And we want us to be satisfied with you at year one. So this is going to take some time. But we're going to spend more time with fewer people. And I tell candidates, I'm only going to send four candidates in for this job. And if I send you in, you're going to be one with a 25% chance you're going to get the offer. And it's going to take a lot more time for you to get this offer, but you'll learn a lot more. And that just changes the whole dynamics of the process. And I say the same thing to hiring managers. You're only going to see four people from it. You're going to hire one. And if you don't hire one, it's your fault, not mine, because I know what I'm doing. And I actually do say that. I wouldn't urge most recruiters to say that. But I say that. I'm a confident and cocky person, but that's neither here nor there. And I also I actually have said that managers actually like it. The idea is I've been an engineer, I've been in finance, manufacturing, cost counting, controls, budgeting, planning. So most of the jobs that I've held or that I work on, I've actually kind of done somewhat anyway. So, uh, but near respect that I grew up in New York and I kind of pushy. So it actually works for me. I wouldn't urge that to anybody, but, right. but the point being is there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And focusing on the start date package is the wrong way. And as long as the comp is competitive, and it's got to be competitive. I don't want to minimize that. You have to be above a threshold. But once a person gets on the job, it's compensation isn't the driver. That's part of it. 
But as long as you're being paid fairly, you're not going to leave. And I think that's the cause of the great resignation. Too much short-term thinking and not enough knowledge of the real work and if it's satisfying work. So is that short-term thinking on the part of the employee or the organization when people quit? Both. I mean, you're using, uh, most managers don't want to, uh, when I go into a workshop and I tell managers, define the work as a series of performance objectives. I don't have time. I don't have time. That's what you're going to tell the candidate on the day they start what they're going to do, right? And they always say, well, I guess. I said, well, tell me first so I can find someone who wants to do that work. I mean, so it's, but there is this short-term narrow thinking of, if I got the skills and experience, uh, just send me candidates who've got the skills and experience. But the best people want to know more before they engage. So now you've said, okay, that focus on skills and experience narrows the pool to only people who will be willing to talk to you based on that. And very few good people are willing to talk to you unless they're desperate. So you, you've kind of taken the pool of people you talk to, the wrong pool. The pool you want to talk to, the people who want to see the jobs or career move, but you won't see them because you've set it up that it's a lateral transfer. So I think you've got to kind of, this is, again, I talked about this end-to-end -end thinking. If your end is to hire good people who are discriminating, well, you got to have a process up front that allows people to think about the job and be discriminating, which means the hiring manager has to start saying, okay, if this is the people I want, what do they need for me to engage in an initial conversation with them? And most hiring managers don't want to do it. So um, are, in the, in the, you've been in this for a very long time. Are you saying any change at all? Or are you saying you're a total cynic at this point and people are just not going to change? Yes, I'm a total change? cynic. Well, let's say this. I have companies. We have a actually surprising, that story I'm telling, we have companies that actually want to do what we want to do. But, and I can get mid-sized companies that totally buy into it, you know, when I'm dealing with the CEO, because he or she can change it. And we're dealing with a bunch of CEOs. When I have a functional v vice president who realizes this is great, we'll do it. But at the HR level, HR doesn't think strategically or business process-wise. When I talk to the VP of engineering and describe it, he or she, that's great. Talk to the sales VP. That's great. I like it. Uh, when I talk to the head of finance and accounting, no, they they understand this concept instantly. You talk to HR and it's like, oh, no, I just got to be more efficient. And I, that's really the problem. So, yes, I am a cynic in the fact that I don't think HR understands what it really means to be strategic and think about an end-to-end -end business process. I think they're focused more on compliance and making sure things are right. Uh, and i sad to say, I get kicked out of a lot of HR conferences for making that statement but I believe it to be true. Um, but if you see a, a, a non-HR person, uh, like a, someone in manufacturing or logistics or distribution running HR, they got it. Oh, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, so I'd say that there are pockets of places where we're very, very successful when I can talk to the CEO directly. And it's usually a company with like 500 to 1,000 people where they really understand the importance of that and can direct it directly and make the case. And the big thing they basically say is, we're not going to open a rec unless you define the performance objectives up front and prove to me that you need the person based on the work they're going to do. Yeah. And that, yeah. Okay, okay. Just justify this job in terms of what they're going to do and what they're going to accomplish and why this person uh, is going to earn their salary. Okay. It's not skills and experience. It's the work they're going to do. Oh, they're going to do this and reduce costs by 10%. They're going to upgrade this system. They start focusing on activities it's it's kind of logical yeah and i think i am hearing this more and more than i ever did before where organizations and leaders are looking at non-hr people to perform hr roles because they have an understanding of the business you know kind of like 
your background right? you came from exactly 100 right i mean they're just and i i love them i mean it just it's like i'm talking to somebody oh this is a real business person they understand uh roi they understand systems they understand and to get to a position let's think about this to be a vp of any significant size company enough other than hr you have to probably manage a system you had to develop people you had to hire good people you were involved in a cross-functional collaboration of implementing some complex complicated system uh, and you had to be successful doing it and you had to be strategic to get there and you had to make strategic presentations to the board and all this kind of stuff and they get promoted because of that uh, and our, now I don't want to malign everybody in HR there are some very good HR people who've gone through that there's also 100% of non-HR people who've gone through it to be a VP. You almost have to go through it to get there. You have to think cross-functionally. You have to think strategically. You have to think team development. I mean, so you really have those skills just in your learning experience. HR doesn't provide, in general, that kind of management and administrative and business growth that other functions provide. So I think that's why a non-HR person in an HR role uh, with a good HR compliance person supporting it is a great combo. Are you seeing a lot of organizations moving in that direction or is that more like, I think that it's, would be great? I don't think they're moving in it. I see it happen much more by happenstance. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are you now, not, you know, now that we've talked about the past and the present, what are your predictions for the future? Uh, I'm still a cynic. I remember being in some, I've been kicked out of a lot of HR things 10, 15 years ago. I said, you know, if we don't change this short-term thinking, uh, we're going to be exactly the same. And the real issue, as I said, it's a strategic problem. I remember early on, so one of my first jobs after being an engineer was being a corporate financial analyst for, I was actually at the headquarters of the 35th largest company in the world. Uh, and I was there showing slides, this is many years ago. Uh, and one of the VPs said to an operating group president, strategy drives tactics. And I don't like your tactics. I don't like your strategy. So don't give me more tactics. Change your strategy. And they really kicked this person. This was a full day meeting and the president and the whole team out in the first hour. I mean, this is, I'm a 25 or 26 year old and seeing this happen. Thank God I was just listening. I uh, wasn't taking the brunt of it, but that stuck in my mind. Strategy drives tactics. So the idea is if there is a scarcity of talent for your critical positions, you can't use a process, a tactical process designed to weed out the weak. And you think a job posting is weeding out the weak and finding the best ones. You have to have a strategy designed to attract the best. And the best people don't apply to job postings in general. It's not totally true, but in general, the best people find it through an interpersonal connection of some type. Well, if that's and they don't make the same decisions that a person just looking for a job makes. So if you're trying to attract a person uh, for a critical position, you got to map to how they look for the work. That's the strategy. So that's where I see the future. And I think there are some companies that are actually doing that. Hey, if you want to uh, improve the quality of hire, attract people who are looking for career moves, you have to have a process designed to meet that. And I see some movement there, but I don't see a lot. I still see too much focus on trying to be efficient, weeding out the weak, and that's a non-starter in my mind. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Lou. This has been very insightful. I am glad we got a chance to uh, to to chat and hear. Even though you're a cynic, I am optimist. I feel organizations, uh, especially the startups, have a very open mindset, and hopefully, you know, we will see the change before too long. Um, so, how well, can I people? Hope, let me just say this: I hope you're right. I hope you're right. So, I just uh, 
So I don't sit here thinking, oh, I'm so happy that it's bad. No, I hope you're right. I've been pushing the envelope a long time. I'm pushing on clouds, but uh, my cynic is that not enough people are taking the charge and making it happen because it's hard work. It is hard work. It requires you to think. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's pattern, it's a pattern interrupt for the manager or for the hiring manager. Yep. I mean, um, it's, and, hiring and it's, a great person is worth every penny and worth the effort, but you got to make the effort. It's not an easy process to hire outstanding talent. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks again, uh, Lou, for the, for being on the show. Uh, how can people reach you and your organization? Well, I think the best way and the easiest way is just join our book club. I have a book called Hire With Your Head. If you go to hirewithyourhead.com, you'll see a connection to join our monthly book club uh, and contact me and my company and learn more about what we do. But at hirewithyourhead.com is probably the easiest way to get there. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Lou. Until next time. Thank you very much, Sri. Glad to be here with you. Hopefully this was helpful. Very much. Thank you. Sri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People Strategy Leaders Podcast. If you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag people strategy leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.